everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. That's right. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and I am joined once again by the brand new Seattle Mariner retro hat clad Rob Dunham. It's blue. It's yellow. It's coming for you. I don't know. I feel like Ken Griffey Sr. is about to come out of the bleachers right now. Yeah, man. This this reminds me of the days when the kid was hitting home runs <laughs> back in the early days when Pops and Junior were on the same team. Oh, yeah. But this is not a baseball podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you do like our movie podcast, we ask that you rate, subscribe, and share it with people. If you do, all of your dreams will come true. Oh, well, he went positive this week. <laughs> yeah, That's great. positive this week. And if you don't, I will come and take all the cords out of your charging blocks and bury them in your backyard. See, I was trying to start the podcast off on a positive note, <laughs> and Rob Dunham comes in and just wrecks it right from the beginning. You got to have good cop, bad cop. <laughs> classic. Yes, yes, classic movie, the good, the good cop, bad cop strategy. Yes. All right. Well, we have got a great show. Uh, We're going to talk about Ashley Judd's harrowing experience in the Congo. Um, Mission changes for Mission Impossible 7 and some fun, nice light stories from Jessica Chastain, Robin Williams and the like. We'll debate DiCaprio's best roles and what are the best movie monologues. That and of course our watch list. All right, Rob, you ready to get started? Let's roll that film, as they oh. say in the movie business. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll kick it off with uh, what I think is really, I mean, it's an incredible story. Uh, and that's a story about Ashley Judd. So um, if you haven't heard about this story, Ashley Judd had a grueling 55-hour rescue from the Congo. She was apparently hiking out in the jungle Um, with a bad headlamp, did not see where she was stepping, tripped over a tree and like shattered her leg out in the middle of the jungle and had to go on an absolutely crazy journey to try and get back. Um, She had to rely on um, a number of locals to literally carry her out in the makeshift, um, in a makeshift uh, tent thing that you know, that they were trying to drag her out on. She was riding, you know, on pothole covered streets on the back of a motorcycle. Um, They had to reset her leg multiple times. I mean, just an absolutely crazy story. Rob, what did you think of when you heard, when you, when you saw this? This uh, like has to be a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like it seems unbelievable. It's so out there as a story. It's incredible that somebody went through this and made it. And it made me think there are probably people who have been in similar situations who didn't make it, who we never hear about. But the fact that there was someone there to basically be with her, I think they said the first one person was with her for five hours, just keeping her legs straight. Yeah. uh, Until they were found by anybody else. Yeah. Which is nuts. That's crazy. And the names of the people, Papa Jean, Maradona, like you got all <laughs> kinds of cool characters in this too. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, 
it's really interesting to see someone who is known for being such a big star and basically having everything being so helpless mm -hmm. and needing just the kindness of strangers in order to survive. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like the, the nightmare scenario where something like this happens to you out in the middle of nowhere. And this is exactly what happened to her. I mean, I have been, I've been in the jungle. I've been in the safaris in Africa. I've been out in the middle of nowhere sometimes. And it's, you know, you wonder what, you wonder what it would be like. And so just to, just to have her experience that, especially because it, I mean, her leg was in really, really bad shape. Uh, she ended up in an ICU in South Africa because there wasn't even a hospital in the Congo that could actually like had the uh, technology to be able to to help her out. So, I mean, it's it's an incredible journey. She has nothing but amazing things to say about the uh, the people of the Congo and specifically the people who were able to, to get her to safety. So yeah, well, we're glad that she's OK. And, uh, you know, hopefully this kind of story maybe motivates some people to step out and go the extra mile for somebody else even if they're not a famous movie star because odds are that a lot of people who helped her had no idea <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and uh she posted a bunch of photos from the journey and they're really incredible they're they're absolutely unreal to look at so yeah so uh best recovery ashley and uh I mean, you've been through something that most people will never have to go through, thankfully. And it's, uh, it's an incredible show of strength there to get through that. So hopefully your recovery is quick. I, I want to point out, I'm very proud of you that you did not introduce that segment by saying breaking news. <laughs> but, but now, like, haven't you, like, defeated the purpose since you brought it up anyway? <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So moving on to our next story, um, this is this is kind of interesting. Um, it's and of course it's like tangentially COVID related because everything is at this point. Um, but uh, Mission Impossible Seven and Eight uh, filming development update, and that they are now not going to be filmed back to back. Uh, that was the original plan was that they were just going to roll right from filming the end of seven right into production on number eight. Uh, we've seen this a lot in a bunch of franchise movies. When they get to the end, they split the last two up. They do them, they do them together. So this is becoming a more common thing. So you get everyone there, you get everything done quicker. Uh, but it looks like that is now not going to happen. As with the delays for Top Gun Maverick, Tom Cruise will now actually have a promotional schedule, which is going to interfere with production on eight. So there's going to be some delay on that. Um, but Rob, what do you uh, what do you think about uh, delaying production of a new movie for promotional purposes for Tom Cruise? I think if Tom Cruise was really Ethan Hunt, he would find a way to make both things happen at the same time. So I'm a little for real disappointed, you Seriously. know, shattering my my suspension of disbelief with this one because he would absolutely be doing interviews and then flying three hours to be wherever else wherever else he needs to do do whatever else he needs to do because he's a super spy i mean yeah i'm pretty sure he's done like kind of the exact same thing in other mission impossible movies so <laughs> the fact that he's not willing to commit to it in real life is very disappointing um, but but yeah i to to be more serious i do think that 
and I know that movie stars feel this way because they express it all the time that sometimes they feel like there's too much when it comes to publicity and promoting a movie and there's not enough time set aside to be working on other things when they have to be talking about the thing they just did and I'm sure for him at this point having it be waiting so long to come out he's got to be frustrated to have to go do this and not be filming like he had planned to be doing my question is when did they start letting Tom Cruise promote his movies again I thought there was like a moratorium on him being out in public, being able to say whatever he wants. I thought we all decided that was a terrible idea. I think they (laughs) removed all the couches from all the interview sets. So I think it'll be okay. (laughs) I guess, you know, too much Scientology gotten into him. I wonder if he's backed off the dosage of Scientology. (laughs) It could be his mission impossible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I do think that's interesting. I mean, I'm personally quite pleased that there are multiple Mission Impossibles coming, but the sooner the better. Now, what's interesting is they did not actually back up the release date for number eight, which is still scheduled for 2022. So apparently they don't think it's going to be enough of a delay to warrant moving the film, at least at this point. So we shall see. All right, moving on to our next story. This was one that you uh, you brought to the podcast attention, Rob. Um, and this is kind of a cool story. It's a, it's a little Robin Williams legacy. Uh, so Rob, do you want to lead out on this one? Yeah, so this story is actually not like brand new. It came out um, soon after Robin Williams passed away. Uh, but I don't think it's been really noticed by a whole lot of people because it was the first time I had heard of it. Um, Jessica Chastain, uh, the actress, went to Juilliard for uh, school to study to be an actress and study in the theater program. And her family did not have a lot of resources in order to make that happen. And Juilliard is not a cheap school by any stretch of the imagination. And she revealed back in 2014 that uh, Robin Williams actually helped provide for education because Robin Williams took to, I think she said she, he took a student every couple of years and paid for their entire education. And she was chosen for that the one year. And without that support, she said it was likely that she would not have been able to accomplish what she was trying to do and finish her schooling. And um, I think that looking at it now in 2021, it's even more of a crazy story because she's gone on to do so much more stuff since 2014. Like I had mentioned a couple of movies in there that she had been in, but she's gone on to do so much more. And to think that that wouldn't have been possible without uh, his help is kind of a crazy thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what's cool about this story is that anytime, anytime you see someone succeed, it's always nice to, there's always something about giving back at that point, about investing in the next generation, about um, passing along what you know, what you've learned and, and providing that ladder up for, for other people. And so it's just, a, it's a cool legacy for Robin Williams to know that he helped specifically create um, an actress who's been a big part of the next generation of actresses. 
And so anytime that you have an opportunity to do, I think it's just a great life lesson. Anytime you succeed at something or you're at a good position that you take the opportunity to help those coming behind you. I think that's just really cool. Yeah. And uh, I know that uh, when Chadwick Boseman passed away as well, there was a similar story uh, around him and Denzel Washington and uh, some help he gave him to get into a theater program in London as well too. So there are other stories like this all around Hollywood where uh, aspiring talents have, you know, been noticed by someone and helped out and, I'm grateful for those uh, works by other people who are established because they definitely brought us some great performances and definitely enhanced the craft. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so we always like to see that. All right, so moving on to our last story, uh, the Mortal Kombat trailer has dropped for the new generation of Mortal Kombat movies. And this, this I just found really interesting because, um, you know, Mortal Kombat was always that video game when we were growing up that was kind of controversial that you really liked to play. It was the super violent video games. And this was right during like the height of the violent video games causes issues type, type rhetoric. And Mortal Kombat was one of those video games they talked about. But it's actually gone on to have a decently long run in movies. Um, with various iterations. And so the fact that they're trying again to bring back Mortal Kombat, I think is fascinating. What do you think? Do you think, uh, do you think Mortal Kombat still has relevance in, the, in terms of the movie industry for today? Well, the thing is that the previous iterations are not very good. So yes, this is true. It's kind of a blank slate to provide something that's worthwhile. And I think from watching the trailer, it looks better than what we've seen before yeah. now there's no guarantee that it's going to end up being better than what we've seen before <laughs> because trailers can be deceiving as we all know but uh i i was pretty impressed by the action mm -hmm. from the trailer it looked over the top uh it's rated r and they said they're leaning into that it's got a red band trailer so that's how you know movies got like serious stuff going on um i think the one scene that kind of captured it for me is uh when sub-zero like cut some guy's throat and then the blood froze and he used it to stab him <laughs> yeah that's like an extra insult to injury i mean seriously you get stabbed with your own blood yeah come on <laughs> yeah that's a bit of, that's like that's mortal combat to me over the top yeah actually i still think that it's a game that people play so it's not like it's um it's not like it's something that was a franchise back in the 80s or 90s and then no one has heard of it since. Like, there are still versions of it coming out. Mm -hmm. There's still hype around it. People still are excited to play it. So I think there is an audience for it. Yeah, and judging by some of the actors they put in the movie too, I think uh, there's, there's a better chance than what we've seen with some of the other movies uh, that it's actually a decent quality. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm cautiously optimistic that this will be a decent film. So um, I think this comes out April 19th, if I'm remembering that correctly. So uh, yeah, it should, be, it should be fun and interesting to see what they do with this iteration of Mortal Kombat. All right. So now we get on to our discussion items. And... Uh, 
I found uh, I found this uh, article on Entertainment Weekly uh, that was ranking every single one of Leonardo DiCaprio's films, and I know I've known he's been around for a long time. But seeing this list just reminded you of how long and how many films he has been in for such a long time for a guy who's not that old, and he has had quite a career. And so I thought it would be fun to talk about, to kind of, to kind of get our, uh, our different opinions about what our favorite DiCaprio roles are and uh, see where we're, where we're the same and where we're different on this one. So, um, so let's, let's pick a few. So Rob, what do you think? I'll let you go first. What, what is one of your favorite DiCaprio roles? So I have my top five in order okay. uh, and I, I wildly disagree with the list. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. um, but uh, for me, the best I've seen him is the movie, the Revenant, mm. which was just an absolute insanity of commitment to a performance. Like this guy literally got, violently ill <laughs> for this role by actually being out in these crazy conditions like they didn't it wasn't on a sound stage he was out in this insane weather he like literally climbed into the carcass of an animal like that was all real um the stuff that he did for this movie was nuts yeah and on top of that i thought that he portrayed the character he was portraying really well too and was um, was a great counterpoint to Tom Hardy's uh, rival character in the movie. So yeah, The Revenant for me was my favorite performance of his. I like I just love that movie in general. But I thought that the movie would not have been as good without Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in it. And I think that he was well deserving of the awards he won for it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean just the sheer insanity of what he put himself through. I mean, this was by far his greatest commitment to any role that he's ever done. Now, I, I would probably differ that I don't know that it's his best role, but it certainly is the one that took the most effort that he went the most over the extra mile. And I, I mean, it's, it's just a ridiculous performance. I mean, between what he did and with Alejandro Iñárritu and filming in natural light and all like just the crazy lengths they went to make this movie. It was just, it was just insane. So yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's a difficult movie, but it is really fantastic. Must see. All right. So, you want to, you want to go with one? Yeah. So, um, and I'll start out with like this. I, I did a 180 on DiCaprio. I was not a big fan of him early in his career. Um, I didn't particularly like him as an actor. Um, so there was kind of two movies and both of them on my, are on my list. Uh, but there are two movies back to back that really, really turned me around. And they, they came out like right near each other. And that was Blood Diamond and The Departed. Um, so I will start out, I'll just say, I'll, I'll go with uh, Blood Diamond. Uh, just the role he played as a South African diamond trader and the lengths he goes to to try and um, get, I keep forgetting that his name, um, but to get him to 
to get him to safety to and, and kind of play in both sides and you're never quite sure of his character's motivation and just like he did such an amazing role in that movie he was so believable and it was such a good job of acting that i started coming around on him with that particular movie yeah i think it was uh digimon hansu was yeah, the i can never pronounce his name yeah. from gladiator yeah yeah um for me uh there there are quite a like you said it's kind of crazy the amount of work he's put in because there are a lot of really good movies um so i would say that uh once upon a time in hollywood i think mm. is up there yeah as one of his best performances and i think uh it's for an entirely different reason than what i mentioned with the revenant i think once upon a time in hollywood is so good because he portrays an actor like with real honesty like an actor who is not always satisfied with what he accomplishes who gets frustrated just like a normal person would get frustrated when they're not able to do their job perfectly there's a scene in this trailer where he basically gets into an argument with himself about not being able to remember his lines and there's a, there's a decent amount of profanity in it but it is hilarious because it's like seeing a guy have a, a mental breakdown right in front of you but he does it so believably like it's over the top but you can imagine an actor who's frustrated doing that like i could see it i could see someone doing that and um i think the probably the most compelling and grounded moment of that movie which drives some of this point is when he's talking to the little girl actress about mm -hmm. acting yeah and <laughs> she's reading a book he's reading a book about a cowboy and she asked him if it's a good book and he goes into this little monologue which we're going to talk about monologues a little later spoiler alert um yeah. but he goes in this little monologue about the story and about how you know sometimes things don't go the way you want and people don't have use for you anymore and you can tell the longer he goes on talking about it the more he's realizing he's talking about himself and he kind of just has this breakdown in front of this girl but it's so real and she's so comforting and there for him Mm -hmm. and he manages to turn it around and absolutely like kill the scene and they tell him he did a good job and he's just like <laughs> you know and then he gets to kill Nazis with a flamethrower so that's always a bonus <laughs> yeah <laughs> i so love that scene oh it's so good yeah i'm glad everybody mentioned... okay over there well the nazis aren't <laughs> <laughs> No, the hippies. The hippies. Yeah. The Nazis yeah, yeah. was in there. The hippies aren't. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the scene with the uh, with the little girl because I think that was the one that was the one that I thought he did the most subtly brilliant job of acting because he's trying to tell the story of a book, but he's actually telling his own story, and to watch him realize that in the moment is while trying to contain it is, is just subtly brilliant acting. And so that really is a scene where that, that exemplifies how good of an actor he is. I think that uh, just that statement speaks to why he is a good actor. And it also might speak to why we didn't notice it earlier, because I think subtlety is a hard thing to appreciate. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're younger and just growing in your skill, I think it's something that can be maybe viewed as just um inexperience or 
not being fully into a role when maybe all along he's been like good at acting Mm -hmm. and we just didn't realize what was going on yeah um we have do you have another one you're thinking of yeah i want to i i have to go to the departed i just yeah the departed is is just an amazing film on basically every single level uh but dicaprio's role in that is just fantastic because he's the guy who's playing both sides He's the guy who is undercover, who is a cop, who's pretending not to be a cop, who's in with the criminals, and just his his ability to, you know, play both sides, play that role of both sides. And and this in particular, the scenes he had with his psychiatrist were fantastic because it's just like the moments when it gets to him and the moments where he just needs somebody to trust and he plays it, he plays it with an, with a level of desperation to his character, both skill and desperation in his acting that just really make the film. I mean, it's full of tremendous acting performances from uh, Jack Nicholson and Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon. I mean, the whole thing is great, but I think he has a standout role in that. Yeah, I've got to mention just one one more. There are several, actually, that I can think of, but one more that I can't let the segment end without mentioning is mm. Shutter Island because Shutter Island is, I think, my second favorite movie of all time. Mm. And the one, one of the biggest reasons is his performance because he plays this broken man, like, to an absolute T, perfection. Someone who has had a psychotic break and has no concept of reality. And he plays this person earnestly, like the guy. You, he plays it so well that you don't see what's going to happen in the movie happening until it's happening. And I'm not going to give it away, but um, we'll we'll talk again about his performance in that role when we get to the monologues part too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, his performance in Shutter Island is fantastic as well. Yeah, yeah, and he's had so many, he's just had so many good roles over the years that it's it's hard to it's just it's hard to catalog all of them i thought he was great in the great gatsby uh, of course we didn't even talk about inception which is you know one of my all-time favorite movies and he's in he's inseparable from that movie um he's really he's really had a great career especially we talked about this a little bit when we talked about uh will smith and tom cruise is that how the ability to have hits outside of franchises. Well, Leonardo DiCaprio has really never been a franchise guy. Yeah. And yeah, he's had, he's put together three decades worth of hit movies. And almost everything he's in now has been good. I mean, and catch me if you can, there's another one where he was, he was fantastic in especially because he he was able to use like the the boyish part of his his demeanor and his his looks in that one trying to play someone who who was much younger so yeah yeah lots of yeah it turns uh, out leo's a decent actor i guess yeah (laughs) (laughs) I, i think it was just the whole like the whole like when i was growing up you know middle school high school like the whole teen beat Leonardo DiCaprio thing just gets to you after a while so I think I had some like negative things and then you know like Titanic and the whole when when Titanic comes out when we're like 14 to 15 years old yeah uh, that's not the right time for that kind of movie to come out for (laughs) 
boys that age if yeah. you if you want them to appreciate someone's performance yeah not <laughs> to mention the very strange very 90s uh romeo and juliet yeah which is it, i mean it's quite the work of art we'll we'll, we'll put it that way it's, it's yeah i had, I had forced to watch that in uh in high school in my freshman year and i yeah. don't know if i've watched it since <laughs> it is an interesting movie it really artistic choices on that were were quite interesting <laughs> all right so let's uh let's move on to our second discussion item and this is something i've been working on i'm i'm working on a uh an article for filmforfans.com um on this but i thought we'd, we'd discuss it and bat it around a little bit uh and that is the best movie model um, or we could call it our favorite movie monologues because it's not like either one of us are going to go back through the entire history of film to try and ascertain which ones are absolutely the best. We're going to pick our favorites and, and call it the best. <laughs> so, yeah, but I've been doing a lot, of, a lot of looking into this, a lot of research on it, watching a lot of different monologues. And so I thought we'd, I thought we'd talk about a few of our favorites. So, um, yeah, let's get started. So, Rob, what do you got? So we had mentioned Leonardo DiCaprio uh, recently, as we talked about him for the last five minutes. But in Shutter Island, at the end of the, there, there's many good points in the movie where he has parts where he's talking, but the very end of the movie is my favorite part, and it's just haunting. And like I said, I won't give away exactly what happens, but I just watched the scene again right before we recorded, and it hits me every time emotionally because you see this guy who they're they're hoping he has things figured out and he doesn't have things figured out and it's going to change his life forever and he's sitting there with his uh his fellow cop and he says to him um you know it's got me thinking what would be worse to live as a monster or to die as a good man and it's just such a powerful quote mm -hmm. in the context of the movie. It's a stunning quote for him to say. And it's really heartbreaking because of what's happening around him and in the scene. And he delivers it so perfectly. Like this guy just, he wants to be okay. And he knows something is wrong and he can't figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's at the point where he's just wondering like, is it even worth it? Like, is it even worth me to continue if I'm just going to be a monster? You know, or should I go out? You know, as a good man. So Shutter Island is definitely near the top of the list for me when it comes to that. It's fun. Uh, the one I talk about later, too, is actually at the end of a movie. So it's funny how <laughs> uh, a lot of times these monologues can, can be at the end of a movie wrapping things up and giving us some closure to the story. Yeah. Well, along those same lines, near the end of the, the one that I'm going to start out with is near the end of a movie, too. And this is, of course, the epic James Earl Jones monologue at the end of Field of Dreams. I love this. This is just, it's inspirational. It's visionary. Um, it's classic James Earl Jones. It's it's so good. You know, right when, you know, the baseball players are there, they're about to lose their farb. Um, the brother-in-law is like ranting at them. What are you doing? What are you doing? You have no money. You're going to lose your house. 
and then James Earl Jones steps up. And, and this is where, you know, I've, and I've got some of his lines and it's just, it's so great. It's like, and they'll walk out onto the bleachers and they'll sit in their shirt sleeves in a perfect afternoon. And they'll find that they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game as if they'd been dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick, they'll have to brush them away from their faces. People will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Ah, it's so good. It's so, it's, it's just, it's the culmination of everything that Field of Dreams is wrapped up, of course, with his booming, echoing voice. It's just, it's great. Yeah, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So. Yeah. Uh, another one I was thinking of was um, uh, the Shawshank Redemption, which is, I mentioned Shutter Island is probably my second favorite movie of all time. The Shawshank Redemption is my favorite movie of all time. And I would say it's by a lot uh, my favorite movie of all time. I just think Sam Robbins, Morgan Freeman, like the were the absolute perfect casting for this movie yeah uh, everything about the movie the way it's shot the music the story i mean stephen king wrote a great short story that was the basis of this but then they took it and made it something else entirely um but i love the monologue at the end of the movie because it ties back into earlier in the movie Mm-hmm. when Tim Robbins says to Morgan Freeman's character, well, it comes down to one thing, really. Get busy living, get busy dying. And then at the end of the movie, Morgan Freeman's character is out of prison. And he says, get busy living or get busy dying. Yeah, that's right. And goes into this short speech about how he's really excited about being able to go see his friend Andy and how he hopes he'll make it over the border and how he hopes he'll get to Mexico and he says I hope the ocean is as blue as it is in my dreams hope I get to see my friend I hope and that's really the whole like emphasis of the movie is summed up in those two words I hope yeah because as Andy says in the beginning get busy living or get busy dying when that happens in the movie Red thinks that he's telling him I'm giving up like I can't take it anymore I'm I'm quitting. Like I can't live. So I'm just going to give up. But really what he was doing was digging his own secret tunnel out of the prison and spending years and years on it. And it was all built around the idea of hope that someday it would work out someday he'd be free. And to see them both free as they uh, see each other on the beach after they both finally made it is uh, always an emotional moment for me. And the monologue there at the end, that Morgan Freeman delivers is perfect and apt for what's going on in the scene. Yeah. And Shawshank Redemption is so good. There's actually a slightly earlier monologue from Morgan Freeman that also could be on the list. The one where he's sitting there mm-hmm. in the parole board hearing. Uh, that's a fantastic monologue too. Uh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and he, he kind of narrates the story in some ways and and it, yeah, there's just no, there's no way around how fantastic a movie it is. And so rightfully it ends with that fantastic note. 
so the second one I thought I'd talk about is uh, not at the end of a movie. Uh, it's uh, from Goodwill Hunting, and it's Robin Williams, the scene where he's sitting on the park bench with uh, Matt Damon. And it was right after their first session. It was their second session. And in the first session, Matt Damon had just absolutely ripped into Robin Williams. He looked at a painting of his and just like tore his life apart. And Robin Williams was so ticked off at him. Hmm. And so then he takes him out to this park bench and he starts out this, this sequence where he just says, he says like, you know, I was up all night thinking about what you were saying about me. And then a thought occurred to me and I went to sleep peacefully and haven't thought about you since. <laughs> and so he goes on to tell him and he starts, he starts outlining the differences because in the movie, Matt Damon is this incredibly brilliant person who has an eidetic memory, who can memorize anything. who's just the smartest guy you've ever encountered. And Robin Williams comes back at him and he starts in on this, the differences between what you can learn and what you've experienced. And so I, a little, a little bit of that, he says, I asked you about war and you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? You know, once more under the deep breach, dear friends, but you've never been near one and you've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watched him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help. And if I asked you about love, you'd probably quote me a sonnet, but you've never looked at a woman and made totally vulnerable, known that someone could level you with her eyes. And it's just such a brilliant, it's such a brilliant change of turnaround on him. That, that difference between lived experience and read knowledge. And it just encapsulates the difference between these two characters at that point. And up until this point, nobody has been able to get anything over on Matt Damon's character. You, they show him earlier in the movie, like arguing legal precedents with, with the judges from like 18th century law. And all of a sudden here's this counselor sitting out there who just absolutely gets him and gets underneath him for the first time ever. And it's just such a, it's such an incredible monologue. Robin, Robin Williams was so good in that movie. Yeah, it's the, uh, the it's not your fault scene also comes to mind yeah. when, when you're thinking about powerful moments. I think broadly speaking, if we can uh, zoom out for a second, just about monologues. Yeah. I, th I think it's such a difficult art in movies because the movies were expecting things to transition. We're expecting things to move. We're expecting like things to cut um, for motion to be continued on. Uh, we don't like boring, drawn-out sequences. So I think movies have a challenge that's a lot different than a theater experience, be like a uh, um, uh, performance like Shakespeare kind of theater mm -hmm. uh, performance. Because with that, you're stuck in one location and you're basically relying on the actors to provide you with everything. When you're watching a movie, you've got the setting, you've got the way this film is shot, um, you've got all kinds of special effects going on. So there's not as much space for these moments to breathe. So I think one of the reasons why they resonate with us when they're done well is because it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And I think the ones that are done well feel like they were always supposed to be done that way. And I, I don't know what the formula is for that. It's just there are moments in certain movies 
where everything lines up and you know it was supposed to happen that way. Yeah, and I think I think you're right in that. One of the hardest things about a monologue is there's usually a flow to it. There's usually a change of emotion because they're long enough that you're not you're not going on one particular emotion. There's usually some kind of a building or some kind of a emotional letdown. So you're having to you're having to recite your lines in such a way where you're escalating or de-escalating emotion where you're having to go through multiple emotional states and to carry things and to be able to do that requires a tremendous amount of acting i mean i do a lot of public speaking as part of my job and that's one of the most difficult things to do is to carry your emotion and to know when when to go in heavy and when to back it down and how to how to do that properly and so a good monologue always has always has that in it that element to it yeah and there are various different and in researching this there are various different you know purposes for monologues of course one of my favorite is the rant where you get the long <laughs> rant monologue um i'm thinking of like jack nicholson and a few good men where he just goes off um that's that's probably gonna be on my list too Samuel, got, Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction yeah, does the same thing. Uh-huh. Samuel L. Jackson, Pulp Fiction. And then you have the more like expository ones. Like I'm thinking of uh, Morpheus uh, from The Matrix, the whole mm. red pill, blue pill monologue, where he's basically trying to explain to him what The Matrix is at the point where nobody knows what The Matrix is. And it kind of sets, it's expositional. It kind of sets the stage for the, for the drama that is to come. So doing that really well is hard. All right, so um, definitely make sure you check out filmforfans.com in the coming days is uh, that uh, that article will go up with my favorite monologues on it. Um, we've got a lot of good content on filmforfans.com, so make sure you're checking that out on a regular basis. All right, Rob, you ready for the watch list? Let's talk about what we saw with our eyeballs. Yes, all right. <laughs> all right. So I started out with uh, I started out with some John Kaczynski movies. Um, I really, really love this guy as a director. I want him to do a lot more, a lot more movies. Um, he has a unique take on and a unique visual take on movies, and I love it. Uh, so I'm talking about, I watched uh, Oblivion, uh, it's another Tom Cruise movie, and Tron Legacy, both of which were directed mm -hmm. by John Kaczynski. And he had, he kind of encapsulate that modern minimalist, uh, but very visually striking, um, big grand landscape type, type settings in films. I mean, even 10 years later, Tron Legacy the world he created is just so visually stunning. Uh, it is just absolutely incredible. I mean, it's still to this day, the best 3D movie I've ever seen in IMAX. I mean, it was quite an experience. And even to this day, it holds up. Um, the, the, movie is, the movie is great uh, for beginning to end. Um, and with Oblivion, I think one of the things I, I love about Oblivion is in keeping with Kaczynski's like minimalist standard is it is a post-apocalyptic world that is not cluttered. 
one yeah. of the things you see with most post-apocalyptic type things is there's just junk everywhere. There's just things all over the place. It's just chaos. You know, it's all this stuff. And with him, he chose to do it very, very differently. It still feels post-apocalyptic, but it's very minimalist and it's very striking. So when you see something, it means something, it matters. And um, it's just a fantastic sci-fi movie. Yeah, when I think about Oblivion, I think of like the word you said bleak, and I think of the word stark. Mm -hmm. That is just like they're in this outpost basically, and there's nothing around them whatsoever. Yeah, and I uh, really contrasted with eventually they find other people and what their situation is, mm -hmm. like uh, kind of a pristine versus reality situation in that movie. Yeah. Um. So I watched uh, right before the podcast. Uh, we like to watch movies with our kids, so we watched Mulan, mm. the uh, original animated version, not the okay version we won't talk about that came out <laughs> last year. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my kids love that movie. I love that movie. My wife loves that movie. So um, it's really funny seeing the talking donkey from Shrek as a dragon. Uh, <laughs> a little younger voiced uh, dragon Mushu there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's a funny movie it's heartfelt great music i think i have the song be a man memorized or close mm. and sing it every time it comes on when we're watching the movie and i'm a 38 year old man so deal with it <laughs> like, I, just, I just love it and uh yeah we watched mulan we've been watching a lot of movies uh of similar ilk with a 10 and 6 year old so that's just gonna happen and i i haven't really liked animated movies so it works out for me um nice and on a completely different note, we also uh, have not quite finished. We'll finish tonight, I think. Um, but we've been watching The Mummy mm. with Brendan Fraser, the okay. 1996 version of The Mummy. And I have never seen it somehow. Mm. So this is my first time seeing it. And we, I think we, we got about 20 or 30 minutes left, so I'm not quite at the end. So no spoilers, please. Uh, <laughs> but uh, seeing Brendan Fraser in like his glory when he was like this up and coming star, you, you can feel, you can feel in his performance, like the ability and the reason why he was such a popular choice. And I think that a lot of unfortunate circumstances around the, some of the movies that he was in took him out of that, which is disappointing because I think he's talented. Yeah. Um, but he, like, he definitely brought, brought life to the role whether it's a good movie or not is up for debate, but um, he definitely did well. And Rachel Weiss also is really good in that movie. And I like her in every movie she's in. So I'm biased when it comes to that. Um, and it's funny seeing her in that because we just watched Born Legacy and she was in that too. So <laughs> <laughs> like much younger Rachel Weiss. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, we watched those. And uh, when, when uh, I guess I'll just skip ahead since I just talked about it. Um, for me, he, and then you can talk about what you watched. Sure. Uh, coming up this week, I'm planning on watching uh, The Mummy Returns and The Scorpion King because they're also both on HBO, which is where we're watching the first Mummies. And I don't think I've seen any of those three movies, so it'll be fun. I can't wait to see The Rock as a mythical half-man, half-whatever Scorpion. I don't know. I don't really know what, what the movie is other than it's Dwayne Johnson with long hair, so let's go. <laughs> 
what I remember about that series was I was working at the movie theater when I forget which one The Rock made his debut in. It might be it was the second one, um, The Mummy to Mummy Returns. I think The Mummy Returns is the second one. But I remember like this was a big deal. It was one of his first acting roles and everyone was stoked to see him. And then the amount of time he's in the theater is in the movie is really, really minimal. You'll have, to, you'll have to see when you watch it, but it was billed as, hey, The Rock is coming to movies. And people were actually, I remember people leaving the theater visibly upset about the amount of time The Rock was in the movie. And I'm sitting here thinking like, oh my goodness, like, like he's a wrestler. Like who cares? <laughs> but it, the, like the demand was so popular. That's why the Scorpion King existed because like, okay, well, if this is what people want. Let's make a movie. And all of a sudden now, you know, it makes sense because The Rock is one of the highest paid movie stars in the, in the country. Yep. But I just, that's my memory is like people being visibly upset coming out of the theater about the lack of rock time. <laughs> <laughs> Need my rock time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so for me coming up, uh, for me coming up this week, I I'm gonna watch the Lincoln Lawyer. Um, I have been reading the Michael Connelly books. Uh, I finished the Harry Bosch series, and I started in on the on the Lincoln Lawyer books from Michael Connelly. So I finished the Lincoln Lawyer today. So the plan is to watch the movie with Matthew McConaughey. So I'm going to do that. And I still haven't gotten, I, I kind of started watching the little things again to get, uh, get that going, but it was a little late in the evening. I was like, I don't feel like I'm, I'm not in the mood to pay attention close enough. So I, <laughs> I turned that off. So I'm planning on kind of getting back to the little things and watch that one again. Awesome. So anything else you got, Rob? I don't think so. I'm going to fire up the last half an hour of the mummy. See All what right. happens to the mummy. Go for it. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the show, everyone. So thank you for hanging out with us. And remember to uh, give, us some, give us some love. Rate and subscribe. Uh, share with your friends. Uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to hear from you, too. So if you have any of your favorite monologues uh, from movies that you'd, like us to, uh, that you'd like us to talk about, maybe we can get to that. So send us some comments on that. And let us know, we got a YouTube channel. If you actually want to see us interact with each other, check out our YouTube channel and visit filmforfans.com for the best monologues, as well as a lot of other content. We put out a uh, romance movies that uh, everyone might like uh, over the weekend. So you can check that out as well as uh, what to watch on various streaming services and reviews of that kind. So make sure you visit filmforfans.com. Until next time, enjoy the movies. Get your popcorn ready. <laughs>